Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If you have a taste for life, well, then I'm about to satisfy your cravings. Because on this show, I am dedicated to delicious dishes, and we're going way beyond mere eating and drinking. I'm on a mission to share the most exciting places, new experiences, emerging trends, and it's my goal to bring you the best interviews and insight and products into the wide world of food. So this is your culinary and lifestyle show, and I deliver deliciousness every weekend. If you happen to have missed a show, don't worry. My podcasts are posted on iTunes and you can find a direct link at chefjamie.com where you will find an arsenal of recipes to fill every day with fabulous flavor. And I hope you'll follow my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. Now coming up, it's never too late for pie, right? The pie goddess, as I call her, pastry chef Erin McDowell, accomplished author, Food 52 host, New York Times baking contributor and baker extraordinaire, has released a new book. It's a masterclass and a masterpiece. It's called The Book on Pie. And wait till you hear her absolutely brilliant secrets. She's shared them all. So stay tuned. Aaron McDowell coming up. The great Israeli soul that is Chef Michael Solomonov creating Israeli food in modern style at his restaurants here in the U.S. of Israeli roots and the hummus god. Also my culinary crush. Shh, don't tell. Well, he's going to know, but that's all right. He is stopping by to share his Israeli soul. It is a coffee table, magnificent piece. And we're going to dish on the best of Israeli cuisine. I like to kick off this show though, with a technique, a method, um, an instruction, a tutorial of sorts to make you the best cook, you know, it's my opportunity to share my passion I have to say, uh, I still love cooking after all these years more than ever. And there is something about this cold weather, even here in SoCal where I live, you'd think it was snowing. I've dressed my son so warm, Uh, but truth is it has me all this freezing cold weather thinking about roasting meats and making soup and rich hearty dishes. And that list of goodness right there is the equivalent of what I think of as a warm hug on a blustery day. So one of my favorite winter dishes is these uh, tender, juicy pork chops that I brine, by the way, in uh, salt water with brown sugar and a little bit of vanilla, uh, maybe uh, some cloves or allspice. I like some cinnamon in there too. Vanilla, by the way, is a beautiful complement with pork in a brine. And I serve the pork chops with this rustic caramel applesauce. And to cook the pork chops, I use a classic pan searing technique called butter basting. And it delivers the flavor and the texture that I crave. Now, it doesn't work for a party full of people. But if you're having a party of people, you'd want to roast a whole pork loin, right? But this finesse method, if you're cooking for two or four, it delivers an 
unrivaled crust and a depth of flavor that is hard to match. Now, mind you, I am often cooking from for one, and um, I essentially make love to the pork chop um, while butter basting and sipping on a vodka or a glass of Chardonnay. I happen to believe in butter basting, and you're seeing it everywhere right now. In fact, chefs on social media are showing themselves spooning butter or butter basting in video and on social media form and in every page and everywhere I turn. It is a returning trend and it applies not only to pork chops, but it works very well for a filet mignon. Uh, It's very indulgent on a ribeye steak in a pan, preferably cast iron. Uh, It's beautiful for lobster. So I thought it was time for a refresher. Okay, we know that color is flavor and butter is flavor, right? And I think everything is better with the three Bs. You've heard me say it before, butter, bacon, and beer. And butter basting a pork chop will make you a master chef. So it is hands down the most mouthwatering way to cook an individual or a few pieces of protein. If you want chicken breasts that are bursting with juice and golden crispy skin, maybe you have a thick salmon filet and you want it tender, medium rare at its center. Well, the art of butter basting coaxes maximum flavor and texture out of whatever you're cooking. It is a great chef's trick. It's one of those chef's moves that I think will forever change the way you cook. You get brown butter, by the way, because uh, over the uh, cooking process and with the heat, of course, you're bathing in butter that is turning brown and it bathes the meat with flavor and it carries heat into every nook and crevice of the pork chop, specifically in this instance. So how does one butter baste, you asked? Well, Once the meat has been seared, and in the case of a pork chop, I cook it three quarters of the way through, I add uh, butter to the pan, a, a, a big chunk of it, by the way, and whatever aromatics you might like, like I'll throw in an unpeeled clove of garlic or a, a sturdy herb, like a couple sprigs of thyme or sage or even rosemary. And when the butter has melted and starts to foam, I tilt the pan so that it pools the butter itself at one end of the pan, which will help you spoon it up. And you use a long-handled spoon to quickly and repeatedly spoon up the foamy butter and pour it back over the meat. And the butter will eventually finish foaming and it gradually begins to brown. And you want to stop before the butter starts smoking, right? Because if it's black, you've gone too far. We want to keep that beurre noisette or that hazelnut aroma and flavor for brown butter. Now, you're going to want to start with a thick bone-in pork chop, in my opinion, at least an inch thick, um, because you can still cook them completely on top of the stove, but they have some, some girth to them, right? And as for which type of pan, most chefs will tell you it's cast iron. It's the way to go. You get a great sear. You get incredible heat conduction. If you don't have a cast iron pan, use the heaviest saute pan that you have. And with butter basting, this pork chop takes on the fragrance of the herbs and the nuttiness of the brown butter. And don't forget, please, when you're cooking pork, think pink. The chop does not have to be white all the way through. So once you have butter basted and you have this luscious, tender, beautiful pork chop, the most beautiful you've ever made, 
Uh, while the pork chops are cooking, I uh, cut up some apples and I add the slices to a large pan and I pour apple cider over them and I add a pinch of cinnamon and I slowly simmer them until the apples are tender. And then I cheat and add a spoonful of caramel sauce. Now I make sea salt caramel, but you could use store-bought caramel and you take the pot off the stove and you use an immersion blender and you now have roasted caramel applesauce, right? So easy, so good. Now I say Paris Syrah or a Pinot Noir for the perfect compliment. You can make the dish even more comforting, maybe a, a winter salad of watercress and dried cranberries and toasted pecans and dinner's ready. Okay. I think I have to go shopping. That's what I'm having for dinner tonight now. Sounds so good, right? Please let me know how your butter-basted pork chops turn out. You can always email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. It's time for food news this week. Okay, this is news you can use, right? Just when you thought you had gotten through January with great willpower, lean and clean, right? It appears that Nabisco's signature cookie is now available in two new flavors. Woohoo! Java chip and chocolate hazelnut. Now, for full disclosure, I have not tasted them. I received a press release, in fact, so that I could share this very valuable information with you, but I've yet to find them on the shelf, so if you do, let me know. Uh, but not just one, two distinct new flavors or varieties of Oreo cookies. The Java Chip Oreo, which is a coffee-flavored cream studded with chocolate chips and the traditional chocolate wafers on each side. And then there is the introduction of the chocolate hazelnut Oreo, which must be Nutella-inspired, of course. And I say thank you, Oreo. And Oreo says, you're welcome, Jamie. Can't wait to taste. All right. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Grab a snack and come on back. There's lots more fabulous food right after this. Perfecting your palate every weekend, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. It's never too late for pie, right? If your holiday pies, maybe they were subpar, or you missed National Pie Day, this is your chance for redemption. And a stellar lesson, by the way, because pie can turn an ordinary afternoon into an extraordinary one. 
pie is year round. So says New York Times baking contributor, Food 52 host, and baker extraordinaire, Erin McDowell. She is the pastry chef everyone is buzzing about. She brings the magic of pie to kitchens everywhere through her award-winning food styling and videos. And like me, I'm sure you too are addicted to watching. Her book, The Book on Pie, is a masterclass, a masterpiece, a guidebook that came out just months ago, in fact. It's a love letter to pie. Uh, All of it rolled into one, and it's perfect for the novice and the expert baker alike. It will enlighten you to a lifetime of delicious creations, both savory and sweet. So we're talking pie, and I am so delighted that Erin is gracing this show. She is Erin Jean McDowell, and this is The Book on Pie. Erin, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Yes, of course. Uh, Congratulations. This really is a masterpiece. This is like a pie encyclopedia that you've written. I want to like carry it around under my arm. I feel like (laughs) if if it will seep in, I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, But you are a rock star, a a goddess in the baking world. And I wonder. Thank you. (laughs) No, it's true. How many pies do you think you actually made during the pandemic as it continues? Did you count? I can only imagine. Um, Well, I know we were actually, I was working on the book in 2019. um, And, you know, we even photographed the book before uh, before the pandemic hit, which was lucky because there was a lot of um, sharing spoons back then, (laughs) sharing (laughs) slices of pie, which is something, you know, that wasn't happening in 2020. But um, I know during the book, just in the 14 days that it took us to photograph the book, we wow. made 275 pies. Oh um, so last year when I was, you know, promoting the book and, and getting ready to launch it and everything, um, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say I don't bake a pie every single day, but most days that I bake pie, I bake five or six of them. Sure. So I think that you can probably say that there's at least 365, at least one <laughs> pie per day of the year yeah, which, happening in this house. <laughs> which, by the way, would make many consider your husband to be the luckiest man alive. There is a reason he married me, that's no. for sure. <laughs> no, there's lots of reasons. Um, and you share lots of reasons at the start of the book. I've read it to cover to cover. To cover. And by the way, really, I am very enamored with it. Um, you share lots of reasons at the beginning, five of them, if I'm not mistaken, about what yeah. you love about pie. And I thought yeah. it was a really wonderful <sighs> glimpse into your passion and how you see pie. And I'd love for you to just sh- touch on that, to share it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, um, I actually, I start the writing process of, of every book by writing the introduction because I think it's really um, such an opportunity for me as the author. You know, when you're a cookbook author, you, you get sort of only small amounts of space sometimes to, to let people into who you are. Because, you know, most of what you're writing, the 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 space on the page is very valuable and I want to make sure that I'm fitting in all of the method and all of the important things so that people are going to be successful. So, you know, the little tidbits I get are sometimes that introduction at the beginning of the book and the head note of the recipe where I can say a little bit about, you know, what, why I like this particular thing. And, and I just think it's so important for people to understand, um, you know, why I love pie because I really do love it very deeply. It feels like something that's in my in my veins a little bit. And, um, and I learned to bake pie from my grandma, 
Uh, we started baking pies together when I was about 14 years old. Huh. And um, this actually was, my grandma and I were always very close, but when we started to bake together, it became a, a, a new shared thing that we had. Yes. Um, and she definitely encouraged me, maybe even just because she wanted me to, to, to take, take it and run with it a little bit. She really encouraged me to experiment. And so whether I realized it or not, I was learning to test recipes when I was about 14 and 15 years old in my grandma's kitchen. Wow. And, um, and that just kind of set the stage for what has become one of the only things that I can kind of make using my senses. And that's really what I wanted to offer with this book is that really pie can be so much more creative than people give it credit for. Uh, I think sometimes cakes and cookies get to have all the fun because people are decorating them and, like, doing all these crazy things. And I just really wanted to say pie is that way, too. If it's oh. got a crust and a filling, it's a pie, and the pie's abilities are truly endless. Yes, and <laughs> thank you. We love the pun. I have to tell you, the, the photos in the book that reflect your works of art are proof that the artistic uh, nature of who and what you are comes through, but that when you speak about that idea of experimenting, really letting your mind wander and being free with with the idea of pie dough as the palette is amazing to me. I mean, these are glorious works of art, and uh, you share all of your secrets, which I personally am very grateful for. So, um, let me ask you: share your holy grail pie dough secret please, because I read word by word, your perfect flaky crust to me in your explanation is about the puff pastry folding method that I learned in culinary school, right? Yes. Yes. So, you know, actually my standard pie dough recipe doesn't involve any folding, but what I, what I recommend, especially for people who consistently have trouble making pie dough, which of course is a lot of people out there um, that, that are coming to me and asking, what am I doing wrong? This folding method, um, which is something I also learned in pastry school, um, it was it was an instructor who was teaching us how to make puff pastry, but he said very casually one day, and you know, but you could also do it to biscuits or pie dough, you know, you could you can laminate whatever you want. And he just said it so offhand, but I had that moment and lamination, which is that term used yes. for the folding, is so helpful with pie dough in particular because it increases the strength, it helps the butter distribute a little bit more evenly so that you have less risk of it melting out of the crust. And and that's really the hardest thing when you're dealing with an all-butter crust, which is the crust that tastes the very best. You have to fight that uphill butter battle. (laughs) That (laughs) shortening doesn't quite give you the same battle. It has a higher melting point. So the folding really just helps make it a little bit more foolproof and a little bit Mm. um, more doable for everyone. But the beautiful thing is in the book, we have um, five different mixing primary mixing methods, and yes. any of the doughs in the book can be made with any of those mixing methods. So if you're hoping to do decorative techniques like little cutouts on the edge, there's a way to mix your dough for that. If you're wanting it to be extra flaky and almost like a great base for a free-form pie, well, maybe you want to make it all the way into rough puff pastry. So there are lots of options and, and things to do, and um, that extra flaky method, I will say, is probably the most made in this house. Uh, and it will be in mine. And, and we will say your name every time. How is that? Um, <laughs> Love it. Okay, Erin, you have us all motivated to bake, and we must continue to dish, so please don't go away. Pastry chef Erin McDowell, the book on pie. More right after this. 
Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio as we continue the culinary conversation with super uber talented Erin McDowell. Her new book, The Book on Pie, is a hit and a masterpiece. And so we continue learning her secrets. You often say in the book, um, when in doubt, chill out, right? So that's one of the things I talk about very often, even when friends will call me around the holidays and say, you know, I'm... I'm making a pie. Now what? Right? And I always say, uh, the best tip I can give you is to keep the dough cold, right? So if you've worked with it too long, put it back in the fridge, pour yourself a glass of Chardonnay, you know, whatever it is. Uh, You talk about chilling out so much uh, to really hammer it home. It's so important, right? Absolutely. Um, I just think that it's the the most go-to advice. You know, if, if somebody comes to me with five different problems, Chilling the dough longer is probably the answer to four of them. Really? Wow. It really benefits from being cold. And it comes Mm. down to, um, you know, during mixing, if the fat is too warm or the butter is too warm, you're just never going to achieve that flakiness because the fat isn't being incorporated in the right way. And then when it hits the heat of the oven, if the dough isn't cold enough, you know, all that work that you've put into it could basically just kind of melt out. So the thing about pie dough is it's actually, it's really not that difficult. It's only just a few ingredients, but it comes down to this muscle memory. And what I hear so often and why I'm so excited to be talking to you about pie today is because so often people come to me, you know, the day after Thanksgiving and they say, oh, it was okay, but, you know, it could have been better in this and this and this way. But then they don't make another pie until next year at Thanksgiving. And, you know, this is a, you're hearing it from, from obviously someone who wants you to make lots of pies for lots of reasons, but you're only going to get better at something if you try it several times and if you give yourself that advantage of that muscle memory. And I promise if you make two or three pies, you're going to be noticing that that third pie is so much better than the first. Hmm. It is practice makes perfect. You bake at a very high temp. You say 425, which surprised me. I understand the concept behind it. Of course, talking laminating and, uh, and puff pastry and otherwise, you get a, a really beautiful uh, steam burst, essentially, right, from the high yes. heat. Uh, and yes. it, you do it across the board. I, I think that's fascinating and, and an extraordinary lesson. Well, it, it, and actually, not to... Not to... Uh, disagree with that statement, but there are some variances in temperature. Yes, of course. I think, of course. But I think I was going to say, I think what you're referring to specifically is like my, when I'm par baking and blind baking, which is what I'm always telling people what to do. When the pie crust is being baked by itself, yes, it's 425. And and the reason for that is that, um, that, that steam burst that you're talking about, that can only happen when the moisture inside the butter um, it basically evaporates in the heat of the oven. So the higher the heat is, the quicker that that happens, where mm-hmm. it evaporates and creates the steam right. and enables those flaky layers. Yeah. But the main reason I bring up that there is a slight variance of temperature is because I also always like to encourage people to know their oven. So I know that that's obviously a really difficult thing for people who aren't bakers, um, but... You know, for example, when I bake a double crust pie, I usually bake it at 400 degrees. And the reason is because they take much longer to bake. So if I bake it at 425, the top might get done before the bottom, that sort of thing. But I'll even say to people, it says in the recipe, you know, if it's starting to get brown enough, then go ahead and turn the oven temperature down even more. And if you know what the visual cue you're looking for, which is obviously a golden crust, and to see that filling bubbling through the vents, 
you can kind of just lower the temperature even to 350 and keep on going until you get there. And I promise that that pie is going to bake perfectly. So those visual cues and, like I said, getting that muscle memory, you know, I want I want people to have more of that freedom and flexibility in the kitchen, especially when it comes to pie, because it's something that can change so much if your oven is five degrees hotter than mine is. Sure. Um, so, so those visual cues are so helpful in particular, and that's what I really try to write a lot in there. Yes, and, and we are ever learning from you. Um, just for the record, I can't wait to make your cornmeal pie dough. And oh, thank you. Oh, cereal treat one. crust, too. But let's talk dough scraps. I love this. Yeah. Okay, waste <laughs> not, want not. You Absolutely. make everything from a dough scrap. It's genius. <laughs> I just, you know, you put all that hard work into that dough. So if it just because it's scrap doesn't mean it shouldn't get to have its day. So sometimes I make um, little, I just roll it out and, and sugar it and, um, you know, chop it into little squares. And in pastry school, we had a chef who called those Scooby snacks. You know, <laughs> she was just like, you know, just eat the, the crunchy pie crust with the sugars. Um, and, you know, one of my favorite ones from the book is you can take scraps of dough and chop it up and bake it separately. And I call it pie crust streusel. Yes. And you put it over the finished pie for more crunch. And especially, I always like that for pies like pumpkin or pecan that aren't double crust because I'm a crust lover. So you can always top it with some whipped cream and a couple of those extra crust crumbles because if people like crust like me, mm. you know, sometimes you're wishing it had a top crust. Um, but another really fun one is sometimes I bake a little scrap just for myself. I'll top it maybe with some sesame seeds or some Parmesan. And when it comes out of the oven, I mash my avocado onto it. It's like avocado toast, but pieified, and it's delicious. Yeah, yes. And you do have a love for avocado. There are lots of, there are a few, I should say, avocado yeah. lovely things in yes. the book. This is not just sweet pies, albeit you will master sweet pie if you read from cover to cover, but the avocado galette on um, your uh, rough, is that rough puff pastry? It is. It's actually, in the book, it's on the pumpernickel pie dough, yes. um, which is made as puff pastry. So it, it actually, it looks, you know, sort of like a giant avocado toast on a pumpernickel bread. And um, it looks amazing. And, you know, Thank you. Yeah, there's a whole chapter of savory because I love savory pies. There, I would actually, I don't tell the sweet pies that I said this, but, you know, that's what I'm eating the most often probably is I love making quiche. I love making chicken pot pie, hmm. things of that nature. Sure. So um, I, I wasn't going to let this book go by without a, a savory chapter. And I also really wanted to think about things you wouldn't necessarily think of as a pie ingredient, like avocado hmm. or um, in the cold set pie chapter, I have a watermelon pie because yes. that isn't normally, uh, you know, I really wanted to challenge myself and also mm. present it in a way that hopefully other people reading it will say, oh, well, then I could make a pie out of, of you know, whatever I've got because, of course, you can. If it's got a crust and a filling, it's a pie. And, you know, I only have access to so many fruits where I live. So right. I always am hearing from people around the world saying, I have Marion berries. You don't have a Marion berry pie, or I have this, and you don't have that. So it's a way, I think, also to spark that creativity and get people mm. thinking about ways that they can use what's available for them. Yes, and you're paying it forward from when your grandmother encouraged you to experiment. You have done the same for so many to create uh, a signature you. pie, and, and that's very beautiful to me. Tell us about um, the classic apple, the... The mascarpone, those two would be, I would say, uh, 
the the two I will attempt and make first from the book on pie. I think the the mascarpone is a really fun one to talk about in particular because the idea with that one is that the flavor of it, it's a custard pie. Um, I just think that the mascarpone cheese is mm. su- such a delicate but also beautiful flavor yes. that goes so well, I think, with just about any fruit that you can think of. So mm. that pie, um, we shot the book in the fall. So in the book, the photograph, it's decorated with some fall fruit, some apples and pears and figs. Yeah, it's and beautiful. That I beautiful. Thank you. But the idea is that you could also decorate that with whatever's in season. So if I were to make that pie right now, I might decorate it with segments of citrus. Mm. Um, if I were to make it in the summer, I might saute some rhubarb to put on the top. In the mm. spring, I mean, in the summer, you could you decorate it with fresh berries or peaches. Erin McDowell is the author, recipe developer, award-winning food stylist, uh, who you know her previous books, The Fearless Baker, named one of the best baking books by the New York Times. Um, but of course, it's her videos on Food 52 and her con- contributions to the New York Times cooking section and Pure Wow um, that we uh, know her and love her from. And you can catch her weekly hosting baking classes on Food Network Kitchen. Uh, and the Bake It Up a Notch for Food 52 series. And you can check out all her videos, of course. It's Erin Jean McDowell, J-E-A-N-N-E in the middle. Just search Erin McDowell Pie, and trust me, um, a whole world will be opened up for you. But please, get this book. It is everything you need to know to bake perfect pies. It is a lifetime of knowledge between two hard covers with so many pages in between. You will have reading for weeks and you will thank me for it because it is never too late for pie. The book is called The Book on Pie and the author, Erin Jean McDowell. It was such a privilege to have you here, Erin. Thank you. I, I thank hope you you'll so come back. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Oh, anytime. You gave me goosebumps with that. Thank you so much. Anytime. Even if you don't want to talk about pie, I'm, I'm coming anytime you'll have me. Okay, well-deserved. We can talk about anything you like, no doubt. Uh, we do have the best culinary thinkers on this show. I'm telling you, this is a rock star goddess baker, and you don't want to miss the book on pie. There is lots more fabulous food in your radio. Really? Like, it could get any better? Right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Okay, this is big. Chef Michael Solomonov is the four-time lauded James Beard Award winner, Eater Chef of the Year, and my culinary crush. Don't tell my boyfriend. He's also the chef proprietor behind the Philadelphia restaurants Zahav, Federal Donuts, Abe Fisher, Dizengoff, The Rooster, and Goldie. He is a life-affirming hummus hero. And he's sharing his Israeli soul in the much-anticipated new release cookbook currently in number one standing on Amazon called Just That, Israeli Soul. And he's here to dish, and I am delighted. Uh, Pittsburgh-bred, Israeli-born, 
modern and genuine style, the great dichotomy combined. And the new book with your business partner, Stephen Cook, is breathtakingly gorgeous, a true celebration of cuisine. Michael Solomonov is in your radio. Chef, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank oh. you for the kind words. Oh. Like super flattered. Oh, thank you. I Much deserved. Um, I do have a culinary crush on you. My boyfriend knows. Um, so it's okay. That, that makes it okay. Huh? Yeah, I think it does. And um, I'm not sure whether I want to showcase this new masterpiece of a book on my coffee table or sleep with it. Uh, it really is. I, I. It's everything I want to cook every day. And I've been a longtime fan. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, we're really proud of of this, this book. Uh, I, that, you know, Zahav is sort of like our baby, you know, but really I feel like the photography in particular in this book really makes you want to sort of eat the dishes out of the page, you know, and that, uh, and, and it was like really traveling through Israel, that's kind of how we, we had like really no format for how we were going to make the book, and we just went over to Israel and ate a ton, and then came back, and we we're like, all right, well, this should be in, this should be in, and eventually we got to a, a book. Right. I, I think what it showcases is what I've always heard and been told. So I have Jewish roots and I've not been to Israel, shamefully. And I have the privilege of working with um, some uh, Israeli business people in the culinary community. And they're always talking about the food culture, Michael, in Israel, how um, the is the young Israelis um, go um, into the military and then they go travel to spread their wings and then they come back and they bring the culinary culture from all these other parts of the world back to Israel. And that's what makes this Mecca, pun intended, of, of gastronomic brilliance in Israel. And it has always uh, just fascinated me. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it, is, it is fascinating. And even insofar as to say that, like, they... So what used to happen was, because Israel is such a small country, everybody would go travel. Israelis travel a ton. Culturally, it's kind of what they do before or after the military. Um, chefs would go to Europe or go to the States or go to Asia, and they would learn how to cook food from there, and then they would try to open these, like, restaurants in Israel that represented, you know, the countries that they go, that they staged in. Um, and then I, I think about, like, I think 10 years ago or so, I can't, I don't know exactly when, but they started to really look at the things that they had there, the things that they ate, you know. I mean, most people are, you know, second or third generation away from being from somewhere else, right? So... You've got, um, you know, like all the Balkans, North Africa, Yemen, uh, Europe. Like, so everybody's kind of from somewhere. Um, and there's also been, you know, there's like tremendously delicious Palestinian cuisine, Druze cuisine, Bedouin cuisine that sort of varies depending on where you are in the country. And they would start to recognize that you have, they don't need to cook French food. Like, what's the point? You know, when you've got Moroccan salads and you've got... Um, you know, Polish trolls, and you've got, like, goose fat and foie gras and um, Moroccan carrots and... All uh, the good stuff. pastries from Turkey. Like, why, why, go, why go showcase food uh, from, like, Asia or Europe when you've got everything kind of right there? And I think that 
Israelis started to recognize that there is Israeli cuisine, that such a thing exists, and, and what's the point of um, trying to reproduce something else less genuine? I think that's what's so incredible about Israeli soul, is that I felt the deeply rooted uh, culinary epiphany of Israel in the book. We could spend a whole hour on hummus. I'd like to spend a few days on hummus with you personally, but with limited time, your five-minute hummus seems fitting. When we associate Israeli cuisine and the influences there, I think all of us think hummus. And to watch you make hummus in a video um, is is an extraordinary thing to me. This five-minute version, pretty fantastic. Is ice water the best secret you can share? Yeah, I think that ice water ice water works well with tahina. And it's really, I found that the best hummus starts with like a very, very good quality tahina, but also very stable sort of whipped or like uh, prepared tahina. And as far as garbanzo beans are concerned, do you have a favorite, a preference a I don't method? I think I do. I mean, my favorite dry ones are Bulgarian ones. Mm. Those are really good. Yes. Um, but I think that, you know, like a, a good canned organic chickpea is like totally fine. Soulful, simple, delicious dishes that you want to eat right now are found in this new and extraordinary cookbook release from Michael Solomonov and Stephen Cook entitled Israeli Soul. It is a rich narrative, this gorgeous oversized format that evokes the spirit of Israel and the immense culinary landscape. It is my number one cookbook pick for 2018. You must have this book. Learn more at zahavrestaurant.com. Find the book available now worldwide on Amazon. And again, I can't thank you for... Uh, taking the time and sharing your passion enough. Thank you, Chef. Thank you. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of gastronomic inspiration. And I do hope that it fed your soul. On social, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, you'll find my last bite for this week. It's my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation with you on the radio. And in fact, I have an electronic cookbook, my first ebook after seven in print that I'm very proud, excited, and delighted to share with you. And you can learn more at chefjamie.com. Uh, but my last bite for this hour is a healthy artichoke dip. So I love a dip with crackers or bread, but this one's a little bit leaner and cleaner than the usual. I love artichoke dip too. And everything from your pantry and staples from your fridge come together. Greek yogurt, artichoke hearts, some parsley, some lemon zest, good olive oil. I'll give you all the ingredients and tell you how to make it. Once again, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram now at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I will meet you here next weekend where I do promise to please your palate. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.